base, at least I do, I base the Bible translation debate. Two basic Bible doctrines upon which are, which are foundational, if you would, to coming to a conclusion in regard to Bible translations. Now, there are other reasons. In fact, today we're going to look at a few, and we'll mention a few. But two basic Bible doctrines, what are they? All right, the preservation of Scripture, Psalm chapter 12. You can turn there, Psalm 12. We'll look at it once again. Psalm 12, and then the other would be inspiration. Okay, so how do those relate to the Bible translation debate and discussion? How do they relate? How, how does uh, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof? How do, how do the verses there and others that talk about the inspiration of Scripture relate to the matter of Bible translations? Okay, why is the method important? And how, how, how does that tell us the, the method of translation is important? Okay, all right. Uh, in fact, you see in uh, Psalm 12, do you not? It talks about every word of God is pure. And, 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 and we find throughout Scripture the words, it is written, God spake all these words, God said. Um, and to God, his words are important, not his thoughts, not his ideas, his words. And all Scripture is given by, it's all breathed out by God. Every scripture is. All scriptures are given by inspiration of God. Since they all are, and it's the very words, it's important then that we find a translation that uh, properly gives us what God has said, his words. Now, um, what, what are the two words that we use? And, and these aren't biblical necessarily, but they're two descriptions of ways that the Bible is translated. Dynamic equivalency, formal. All right. Which which one is which one which one be right? All right. Formal. You want formal equivalency. You want basically word for word for word. This is what God has said. This is what was said. This is what the scriptures say. Now that does and it does present difficulties for translators. You understand that? We're talking about how. Sentence structure and everything else. Some words in the Greek do not do not have, if you would, an equal in the English language. They don't have words. Don't always mean exactly the same thing. And sometimes uh, there, are, there are difficulties in translation work. So you want someone. You want a, a translation that most accurately gives you the words in an understandable way. That, that's the, the that's my description. It's probably the most technical way to describe it. In an understandable way, what God has said, not what we think, not God's thoughts, God's ideas, what God has said. So we want as as much as we can, literal word for word. Truth is, if you saw a word for word translation from the Greek, you would have great difficulty even understanding what's being said. So uh, translation work is difficult work, but that, that first. Then the second doctrine we talked about is preservation. And preservation tells us what? 
not just the method, the way that translation work is done. We want a formal equivalency, not dynamic. But what? All right, the sword. Uh, the, the, the truth is, God has God's word has always been throughout all generations since God gave it. It's it's always been it's always been with the church. So we would really argue Old Testament, obviously a lot longer than that, but uh, probably after around 200 or so, um, we can count on the fact that God's word has always been present. So any translation that's made should come from uh, the source that's been used by the church throughout the centuries. Uh, the source that was used by the church is is called, and I know there's great debate about this. There's, oh, man, we're not going off into all the details we could, because you certainly would go to sleep. I have just about gone to sleep sometimes reading some different people, and, and they go into all sorts of explanations. But basically, the received text, it's called the Texas Receptus, the received text, the text that has been used by the church throughout the centuries. If you want to get more technical, there's a Byzantine and there's an Alexandrian, basically, two different texts. The Byzantine is a text that has been used by the church and was was the text by which every, just basically every translation that's more than, what, 300 years or 200 years old, that just every translation was made from, the Alexandrian are supposedly, they tell us, older and better. But the thing is, those were missing for a long time, for centuries. They were missing. The Alexandrian, one of the Alexandrian texts, uh, comes from the uh, the Vatican, and from what I understand, I don't, you know, I don't know because I wasn't there. It was it had actually been thrown out, and and it was it was found and considered a better manuscript. It's really interesting, um, uh, the, and the discussion and everything else that goes into it. So. We want one that, that to source has always been. Why? Well, because, again, of the promise of God. The words of the Lord are pure words, Psalm 12, 6 says. As silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times, thou shalt keep them, O Lord, thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. So David could say in his day, look, God, you've given your word. What you've given, we, we're going to have, and we always will have. Uh, God's word, there's this promise of preservation uh, from this generation forever. And I, I'll tell you, I'm thankful for that. I really am. So I can say, thus saith the Lord, this is God's word. All right, so there you have it. That was that's all, that's all what we've already dealt with. If you have your outline for tonight, I don't know if I'm going to, or this afternoon, I don't know if I'm going to follow it all that closely because I'm going to stray from it a little bit. But let's just pray and ask God to help us now. Uh, Lord, we do need your understanding. We need you, Lord, to keep us alert and awake. We ask you to do that, that we might uh, glean from the Word of God and just from the things that we're going to share this afternoon, uh, helpful things that will uh, give us direction in regard to uh, what Bible translation uh, to use. And we pray that you would give us discernment now and, uh, and help. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There are a lot of voices out there which tell us different things. Uh, a number of people are telling us, hey, 
Bible translation issues are a matter of preference. In fact, uh, just yesterday, took a little bit of time to go over things that uh, we're going to look at for a few moments and, uh, and went to the Internet, which is always an interesting, an interesting uh, scenario. You never know what you're going to get when you get on the Internet. And by the way, uh, it, it, just because it's on the Internet doesn't mean it's truth. You do know that, right? Okay, just, just want to make sure. There's a, gen- there's a gentleman who... Um, works for Logos. Have you ever heard Logos Bible? Uh, he's involved with, with Logos. I'm not exactly sure in what way, uh, but uh, he was purporting, he was suggesting, he was saying in his, his, um, in his article that he was writing about Bible translations, look, it doesn't matter. Whatever you prefer, whatever you really want to use. Uh, by the way, he has a doctorate, which makes him important, I guess, um, from Bob Jones University, in 2012 or something to that effect. And so, therefore, I guess because he has a doctorate, he knows what he's talking about and everyone else is ignorant. Anyway, um, so he says, whatever you prefer, whatever you think is best. And actually, in his article, in the things that he wrote about the Bible translations issue, he suggests that you get numerous translations, whichever ones fit, so that if you're going to read to your kids, you might get... Good news for modern men. If you're going to read one, too. And he said, you know, I really do have a preference, which is interesting. I have a preference, but it really doesn't matter, whatever you like. And because there's such a proliferation of text today, get the ones that fit most what's going on in your life. I think that's really interesting that someone would even say something like that. Um, but is it really just a matter of preference? Is it a big deal? We've been trying to share with it that it is, that these two doctrines really give us direction. God has spoken his word, and that God has preserved his word. And there truly is one primary, one primary, really available translation of the word of God, which fits both of those doctrines, and that would be the King James Version of the Bible. That's why we use it here. Uh, it's why it's what we will continue to use here and why we don't use other translations and why we don't support the use of other translations because there are two Bible doctrines. Um, I want you to just see this. Is it just a matter of preference? Um, I, I asked, I actually took a little bit of time and, and Brother Duncan helped with this a little bit, but I just wanted you to see uh, some of the examples because we've talked about the fact that there are some 5,000 words that, are, that differ, over 5,600 changes between various uh, translations, basically between the King James and something else. So I wanted you to see New American Standard Bible. Um, someone read, if, if you need to look in your Bible, but some of you can probably see it. Someone read Matthew 5.44 from the King James. It's right there in front of you. Very good. You don't need glasses. That's great. All right. So in Matthew 5.44, if you're to read it in the New American Standard Bible, it says, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Does anyone feel like you got ripped off a little bit? Uh, I'm, not trying to, I'm not trying to, well, yeah, I am, I guess a little bit, ridicule. But when someone says it doesn't make a difference, the differences aren't big. That's quite a difference, is it not? There's a lot more to the message. Would you not agree? Okay, 
not just the New American Standard. Let's look at another, the NIV. Same verse. We already read that. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. All right, let's go on. Let's look at uh, the third one is what? Or do you have the third one for that? The New Living Translation. But I say your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. Now, again, understand this, especially the New American Standard. Remember we said the New American Standard does follow formula equivalency? In fact, they even suggest, and we may show that in a little bit, but they even suggest that uh, it was more formal, <laughs> slightly more formal than the King James Version as far as the, the original translation. But there's things that are missing. Now, you say, why would the New American Standard only have half the verse? Because in the... Oldest and best, there was only half a verse. The older manuscripts, supposedly, that they tell us are more reliable, um, didn't have that. All right, so let's go to another another verse. I Actually, I had them in, did you end up putting them in biblical order? Or did you? Oh, okay, you good. Hey, he's good. King James Version, and they crucified him and parted his garments in Matthew 27, 35, casting lots that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture did they cast lots. Does Matthew 27, 35 sound the same to you? Someone read the New American Standard. You may... All right. Did, does, does it say the same thing? You say, uh, well, you're picking out verses that magnify the differences. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but I, I, to see that, there's, you, you don't get the same message. Now, now, I'm serious about this. If you were, if you had a student in school with 30 other students and someone read Matthew 27, 35, and your, your son had Matthew 27, 35 in, in his version, his school book, and he said to the teacher, they don't say the same thing. Would you not be upset about the fact that you have a different, you had a different version of the book? Would, would it be fair to test kids on what's in the book if the books are different? I marvel that people don't mind in church someone reading a verse and even it. But in school, if kids didn't have the same textbook that said the same thing, they'd be furious. Why are we furious about the fact that they don't say the same thing? All right, um, now we'll go through the other translations. You have the good news. They crucified him and then divided his clothes among, among them by throwing dice. Uh, by the way, that, that is not good news, all right? Uh, it's amazing. Uh, when they crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting by, by casting lots. Um, all right. So there you have Matthew 27. Let's go on to another one. I'm not gonna. We're gonna we're gonna move on. John 3:13. So when we read King James. All right. Verse 13 of the New American Standard. Someone. Um, is a great change in that verse, a serious change in that verse. Um, absolutely. Even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. 
important message. By the way, uh, in, in a sense, arguing the, the, the deity and the godhood of the Son. Important truth. Um, so then you have it in the New International. No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Um, and one other, next one. Oh, the, the bad news. Um, what's that? Oh, this is next for, oh, for shame. All right, Acts 8.37. By the way, if you turn to Acts 8.37 in your Bible, um, and then you had the good news translation, you would find that, well, it's just not there. And what did Philip say? Someone? Do you know the context? The baptism of the Ethiopian eunuch? And uh, that's an important, important statement that Philip made. Um, supposedly doesn't exist in this Bible version. Um, and uh, like you said, some chapters have less or more verses. I, again, I, I marvel at this, that people say it's just a matter of preference. It, it doesn't make a difference. Um, so that's the good news translation. Is that the only one I have for Acts chapter 8? Okay, New International has the... Has the same? You don't have to read it. It says the same thing. All right. Uh, Acts 24, uh, 6 and 7 and 8. Who also hath gone about to profane the temple whom we took and would have judged according to our law. But the chief captain Lysias came upon us and with great violence took him away out of our hands, commanding his accusers to come unto thee by examining of whom thyself makest, uh, mayest take knowledge of all these uh, of all these things, we accuse him. So, someone want to read the New American Standard? No one wants to read it. All right, so again, we just we have differences, we have different messages, we have different ideas, different thoughts. Going to move on to another one with that. Um, don't just don't have verse seven with the good news translation, um, and the New International Version. They just skip verse seven. So here's the point I wanted you to see is that when people say it's just a matter of preference, it's not. There, there's verses missing. There's thoughts missing. There's messages that, that are missing. Uh, it's not just a word here and there. There are actual uh, passages that were missing in the oldest and best. So is it a matter of press preference? Some translations are, are just are bad. They're just bad. They're terrible translations. Not only... Beside the fact that they're missing verses, they're just terrible translations. So when someone kind of talks like there's, there's, it's no big deal. Um, I, I, honestly, I marvel that we could, we could say such. So um, we've come to the conclusions, right? And that's where we left off last time. The conclusions in our outlines. The last point, uh, Roman numeral four, the conclusions. Um, so let's let me go through, and I'm I'm probably even going to give you one or two things more, and I'm going to be done. Okay, uh, before I give you the points, Jesus Christ quoted the Old Testament 
at least 179 times. At least. He never questioned the validity of what was written and he made no corrections. Um, which is interesting. Who would have known whether there were words that had been changed as copies were made? They didn't have the originals in Christ's day. There have been 400 years between the uh, finished completion of the Old Testament in the New Testament, called dark, um, not dark, uh, silent uh, ages. What is it? The, the, there's a term for it, and it just it just went out the door. So what happens when you get okay? Um, but 170 made corrections, and or the correction he he made statements 179 times, and um, he said a number of times, "Have ye not read?" And then he would quote, and I could give you a list of numerous scriptures. He used, his use of the scriptures indicated he had confidence in the word of God he, they possessed in his day, not the originals. He believed in, therefore, the inspiration and the preservation of scripture. Because he didn't say, you know, this is the, the best translation we have, it's not perfect. This is the word of God. Haven't you read? Don't you know what the Bible has to say? Um, and we can prove then from the Bible that Christ believed in the authority and the accuracy of the written word of God, and he accepted that the word written had been kept providentially to the time in which he lived. And there, therefore, it's not wrong for us to assume that we can do the same today. That we can say, hey, look, God, if God preserved it for some 400 years, then God certainly has preserved it since. And we can claim that we have the word of God. Uh, now, we've already said this, and I'm not sure whether I gave these things. We're already made in the points, but I'm going to just reiterate them one more time. I believe, and I think every Christian should believe, the King James Version, the KJV, is one of a few which have first the right method of translation since we've already discussed it. Did I give you those two things anyway? Okay. And then the KJV is the only translation whose source comes strictly from the text used throughout the centuries since the time of Jesus Christ. Um, by the way, I got to say this, the King James translators were not inspired. They weren't. That's taking it way beyond, way beyond uh, what 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 the Bible tells us and what anyone can claim. And yet, there is a, a pastor in Central Tennessee area. I'm not going to tell you where because some of you would know him. There's a pastor in Central Tennessee area that teaches a class, and he teaches he teaches that inspiration uh, means Holy Spirit guided, Holy Spirit's breath, and he says then, therefore, that those who translated the King James were Holy Spirit guided. And then he turns around and says, people call that double inspiration, but it's not. And I have no idea how you cannot claim that to be double inspiration. The men who translated the King James Version were not inspired. They were men 
I certainly were directed by God. I think they had the Lord's help. Uh, they were very sincere men who had a dedication to and a commitment to um, giving people the Word of God in the English language in an understandable way, but being accurate to what God had said. And, and they made a great translation of the Bible. A great translation of the Bible. A reliable one where I can say, this is the Word of God. Because they took what God had said and they gave us what God had said. And in fact, it is amazing how it actually happened. If you want to study the subject out, uh, Otis Fuller took time to talk about the, the men who translated the King James Version of the Bible. 47 Bible scholars, scholarly men, very knowledgeable men, who were divided up into six different groups who both had, they all had portions of the scripture that they were involved in translating. And then these groups would all get together and or they would change what passages they had done and they would recheck them. And there was a group overall that looked over this and 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 worked through it once again. So basically three times the work was done. They took numerous translations that were available in their day uh, from from German they took the Latin Vulgate. They took uh, the, the various translations that had been done of the scriptures. They took Tyndale's. They took Wy Wycliffe's. And they worked through all of them in addition to looking at the Greek uh, manuscripts and the things that were available when they made their translation work. And none of them claimed themselves to be inspired. Please understand that. They didn't. Uh, in fact, they understood it was a translation. And they stated that in their, uh, in, in their documents. So they were not inspired. They were men who were, I believe, guided by God, um, who, uh, who help us tremendously to understand truth. By the way, let me just share with you. This is interesting. If you want to read it, which Bible by Otis Fuller? Um, I, I don't know if I agree with everything in his book, but he's got some tremendous, did a lot of study on this subject. John Boyce was one of many who were involved in this, of the 47 men involved. Did I say 46? 47 men. He was reading he Hebrew at age five, admitted to college at age 14, distinguished himself in his knowledge of Greek. He sometimes studied in the library Greek from 4 a.m. to 8 p.m. Most all of the men, boys included, had doctorates of divinity. Uh, another guy, Lancelot Andrews, was another important figure in the Bible trans the translation of the King James Version. He had linguistic ability in 15 languages beside Latin, Greek, Hebrew, Chaldee, Syriac, Syriac and, and Arabic. Uh, the, these men, many of them were brilliant men of their day. Um, and, and quite honestly, uh, a good number of them would put to shame anyone who's done translation work in our day as far as their knowledge and their, their abilities as far as languages are concerned. That's why I say they, they did a fantastic job translating the Word of God. Um, this, uh, so let me just share some of the other truths. So these are not biblical arguments, but they're, they're just wisdom arguments, all right? The matter of scholarship. The King James is a superior translation, and I, I would say it, than all others in scholarship. It's a superior translation than all others that are readily available today. 
okay, in scholarship. Um, another reason why I think it's important for us and that we use the King James, uh, the matter of memorization. The King James is unparalleled in linguistic beauty. There is a flow to the King James Version that is an, is an amazing flow. Have you ever, have you read, I, I know we took a portion, have you read the New American Standard Bible? I have, I've read portions of it. And as, as I read it, I think, this is disjointed. There's not a flow to it that I find amazing. Now, you say, well, pastor, you see the flow of the King James because you grew up with it. Yeah, yeah, that's right. But there is a linguistic beauty that uh, the, even the these and the thous that make it a, uh, a, a valuable trend. By the way, those are distinguishing. The these and the thous are, are important in the in the. But whatever, that's that's free. Um, but it has a majesty to it and it has a flow that makes it easier to memorize. Now, is that important? Okay, why? Why is it important? Because the Bible says, what about memory? Thy word, if I hid in my heart. All right, so scripture memorization. Meditation to scripture memorization, hiding God's word in your heart is important to Christian living. Uh, one of the problems we have today with the proliferation of, of translations from a Bible memory. Bible memory is just something that's uh, by the way has gone by the wayside in most in most churches, good churches today. When it was very important in the past, and it should be important today. Now, by the way, for this linguistic beauty, do you know it was written in the eighth grade level at the time they translated the King James Version of the Bible? Um, but what was interesting to me, I just read this the other day, is that the Barnett Institute reported that the King James Version requires today a 12th grade le reading level. Tells you something about our education system, doesn't it? Okay. Um, but it was written on an eighth grade level. And, but they say today you need a 12th grade level in order to under, understand it. And that's why they tell us we need other translations. Um, and in fact, you might ask, well, don't, when shouldn't we discard the King, King James? Because, well, they need, need to be at a 12th grade level and only get this. 49% of adults can read um, at, that, at the level that would be required. Um, by the way, it's interesting. They also said a million high school graduates last year lacked a second grade reading ability in the in their study. That that is a shame, isn't it? Okay, that all right. So much for getting off on the public school system. Um, the answer, though, listen, isn't compromised by using something inferior. The answer would be if it if it would be done right would be to make a faithful translation of the preserved word of God. Um, that maybe would be on a more understandable level. But here's the truth. It just hasn't happened for 300 years. Over 300. And there's not a good chance it's going to. Sad to say. And here's the reason why. Because many modern texts are associated with compromise. Many modern texts are associated with compromise. 
I don't even have time to go into. You say, please don't. I'm just about asleep now. Okay. Um, the NASD is supposedly, of all others, truest to the text. Um, in the original, when the NASV first came out, they left off portions that were not. Can I share with you? Turn to Mark chapter 16. In the oldest and best manuscripts, according to them, which, by the way, I have a book and I haven't yet read it, that um, Dr. Flanders had when he was here. You remember when Dr. Flanders spoke? Um, called uh, The Oldest and Best Are Not the Oldest and Best. And so I haven't, I haven't read it yet. It's, it's on my pile of books to read. So one of these days I'll get to it like six years from now and then I'll report on it. Uh, anyway, um, he talked about the fact that they're not the oldest and best. If you look at Mark chapter 16, starting in verse 9, now when Jesus was risen early uh, the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven devils. And then you go on through the end of the chapter. You see all those verses? Those verses are not found in the oldest and best. New American Standard, when it first came out, wanted to leave those verses out, as well as the numerous other verses, like we saw, just totally leave them out. But they decided because... Everyone's so used to these verses in their Bible, they would leave them in. Let me ask you a question. Whether people are used to it or not, if it's not part of the written Word of God, shouldn't you have the character to say it's not part of the written Word of God? That's compromise. That is compromise. Well, it's, these verses aren't there, it's, but it's no big deal. We're going to leave them in anyway because the, the people in church love them. Does, does anyone have issue with that? You should. If anyone would add something that is, that is not there in supposedly the oldest and best for the sake of sales... We have a problem. Um, the NIV, which these are the two probably more popular in our day, NIV being the most. The NIV translation team meets yearly to discuss translation. They made two revisions since the first one came out, which, by the way, revisions uh, are often needed with the translation as things come to light and whatever. So anyway, the most recent was 2011, and they changed words that were gender-specific to gender-neutral. Now, they did argue that they were not going to change the gender of God. Thankfully for that, they weren't going to put our father, mother, God, which, by the way, some have suggested, which is heresy. That, yeah, sure, I'd use that word, okay, um, which is wrong. But they argued that gender-specific gender terms are not understood correctly in our day, and they did a great big study on that matter before they made changes, so... Um, they changed the text from men to person or in some places and other things like that. And they said this in answering their critics. Compare, here's their statement, this is in their materials. Compare the idea of, I will make you fishers of men, to, I will send you out to fish for people. And they said, young people in your life. So in other words, read it to your kids. Which one will they understand? 
And that's how they made their decision. Because the word men people today no longer refers to all in a great to a great majority. We have to change it to person. Well, they did that um, in according to a guy studying this out who was favorable to the NIV thousand, in thousands of verses. I don't, I don't know if that's exact. But here's what he wrote. The new NIV has changed the wording of thousands of verses in their popular Bible translation, replacing masculine terms with gender-neutral ones. In some cases, they do improve the translation, but in most instances, and this is a guy that's favorable toward the NIV, and he uses it, he said, in most instances, there is not sufficient support for their translational decisions, and it appears their rendering of these verses is served by an agenda that supersedes following a strict translational philosophy. You say, well, what, what does that mean? That means basically they made a decision based upon what they think people will understand today, and they changed the Bible in, in hundreds of verses, if not thousands of verses. Do you have an issue? Should. Compromise is not unusual as far as what goes on in Bible translations. Uh, then the matter of confusion, the confusion of varying texts. And this is a logic argument, but the proliferation of texts has led to confusion in churches. And we've already brought this up numerous times, but uh, the idea of different textbooks in school just doesn't work. Textbooks that don't say the same thing. And it, do, it, it doesn't work in church either. And, um, and that shouldn't be acceptable in church. And so those are some of the things that I wanted to at least bring out. They are not, they are not based on um, ooh, scriptural verses, but they're all more support for the idea that, look, there is a good translation of the Bible that we have in the English language, a reliable translation, an accurate translation, one that fits both the two doctrinal reasons why it's important to consider the, the, kind of, the translation that you have, and also it has the support of, of numerous other practical, reasonable things that, um, that just are, are sensible, whether it's memorization or, or whether it's uh, just the, the flow of language for, for, for Bible memory or, or whether it's uh, just a matter of compromise. And the fact, by the way, they, they tell us that the King James people uh, compromised when they made their translation, but no one's been yet able to prove that they did in any area. Some say that the word baptize was something that King James, but that is actually, that is a internet lore. Um, no one's been able to find any documentation that King James had any impact upon uh, the translators or their work in any way, shape, or form, and that they were impacted in any way. That's just, that's free. So there's numerous reasons why um, we use the King James, we continue to use the King James. You know, some people use those other translations that study Bibles. I've just chosen not to just because, just because quite honestly, most of the time when I read them, they, they, they're just, they don't make, I don't think they're better, and I don't think they help my understanding anyway. And I've got, I've got commentaries, I've got uh, concordances, I've got all sorts of things that can help me understand. I've got the Bible itself that many times will explain itself as we look from Scripture, compare Scripture to Scripture. Um, so um, there are helps, 
that can help me if I have difficulty with certain words and other things. But, um, but give me the King James Version of the Bible. Um, for practical reasons, but really for doctrinal reasons. And I, I really do hope that that's been helped. And the practical reasons I don't get off on a lot. I really don't say much about them because to me, they're, they're good argument, but, but more than anything, it's the doctrinal issues upon which the decision rests. And I hope you'll be wise in whatever translation you make a determination you're going to use. And um, I hope you come to the right conclusion. All right. You've been very patient. I and even less than an hour. Believe it or not. Let's pray. And we'll close the service. Father, thank you.